Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. We're continuing in our service where we left off last time, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week. It is, uh, by the way, 4-10-2022, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, here we go with the thought of the week. Um, this verse is taken from John chapter 10, verses 28 through 29. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. The first thing to consider is that in Jesus' mind, he knows that if he gives them eternal life, they shall never perish. Do you think they will ever perish? Well, Jesus did not. The giving of eternal life seems to confirm that they will never perish. Also, the word translated never is interesting in Greek. Never, pronounced ume, is, according to Strong's Dictionary, a double negative strengthening the denial, not at all, any more at all by no means, neither, never, no, not at all, in no case, in no wise, nor ever, not at all, not in any wise. And I think that <laughs> dictionary entry pretty well covers the strength of that word never. So the use of these conjunctions together makes an even stronger assertion. After receiving eternal life, perishing is not something that will ever happen under any circumstances. Then he goes on to draw an analogy that only makes us feel more secure. The picture is that those who are given eternal life are in his hand. Christ did all the work necessary for them to be saved. Their salvation depends on Christ, which is why they are in his hand, his responsibility. From the scripture, Christ, the Savior, has the ability to save those who trust in him and give them eternal life. From John 17, verse 2. For Christ to tell us, for Christ to tell us that those to whom he has given eternal life are in his hand tells us that they are saved and secure forever. If they are in Christ's hand, then they stand or fall based on the merits of Christ, not on our vacillating morality with supposed obedience. And that is the thought of the week, and I'd like to offer some commentary on that. Last week we saw that salvation was absolutely free, that salvation is by the grace of God. It is a gift of God through faith not of work, so that no one can boast. This week, we see that the gift is absolutely irrevocable. What a powerful assurance as well. No one can snatch them out of Christ's hand or his Father's hand. Salvation is eternal, and yet Christ reminds us that also means they shall never perish. His hand should be strong enough alone, and yet he reminds us of his Father's hand who is greater than all, and no one will ever be snapped out of his hand. No, not ever, will a saved person
person ever lose their salvation? Yes, absolutely. Eternity is forever, and so is salvation. And that's my commentary on the Amen. thought of the week. Now I'll turn it over to Dave for prayer. Thanks, Dwight. I really depend on the prayer. Does anyone have any special prayer requests? You want to hand over to the author of the Father? Well, obviously, Dave, with all that's going on, we're praying for the Myers family, for Bill in particular as well. Okay. Anyone else? If not, we take you to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day, Lord, and giving us, Father, to participate in your word, Father. Father, we ask you for a special prayer request for the Myers family after they go into the grief of sorrow, Father. We ask you, Lord, that you would strengthen them and comfort them, Father. So we know that you, Lord, work all things out in order for the goodness, Father. So we ask you, Lord, to strengthen them, comfort them, and their time to need, Father. We also ask you to pray for those um, who are in need in our church, Father. We ask you to pray for our church, keep our churches stronger, Father. We also have a prayer request for God's daughter as she looks to move, Father. We ask you to look to strengthen her, Father. And give them the confidence you need, Lord. Father, as we continue our Sunday service, Father, we ask you, Lord, to look over us indeed, Father. And we ask you, Lord, for special needs for our want, Father, special work for our need, Father. We ask you, Lord, to care of those who are in need of a healing, Father, a special blessing for those who are struggling, Father, while we are in this world, Father. We ask you these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dave. Um, thank you, Dwight. Appreciate those words. Um, we're going to move in <clears throat> to our service where we are are in John chapter 17. And I think we're looking at verse 14 today. John 17 and 14. You should have notes. So let's see if we can dig in. Uh, the scripture reads, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world the information we have been given is out of this world I make that statement from a biblical standpoint what no eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. For us to think about things clearly outside of our human understanding is impossible. However, there are the things, uh, these, quote, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. That's 1 Corinthians 2.10. This must be classified as the greatest find in the world. For us, it is the meat we have to get. Uh, it's the meat we have to get to meditate that we get to meditate on and grow into. So, quote: "Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things." So we have before us. Uh, these verses are going to get increasingly more and more interesting as we continue 
in John 17 because Jesus deals with some pretty interesting topics in his prayer. Thank God that we have opportunity to know these things. This is part of our growth and understanding of the priestly prayer of Jesus on behalf of the church. It is important that we take time to look at what Jesus thought about the church. Uh, it's not Paul's church. It's not Peter's church. It's not James or John's church. It's Jesus's church. And he's telling us right up front what it's all about. Even when it comes to what the spirit of truth, the, the role that he would play. He gives pretty good definition and so that we can understand how or know what to expect along line, those lines as well. So uh, let's get into it. We try to break this down into some phrases. First phrase, I have given them your word. So the first thought is Jesus has fulfilled this part of the work he, has, he was tasked with to do from the Father's plan. Giving him, <clears throat> giving us the word, when I say us, you obviously know, I know, I mean the disciples, who later would become the apostles. That's who I'm referring to. So, <clears throat> excuse me. And it seems like uh, there's the context. John chapter 17, 4 talks about finishing the work. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Six. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And, and here it is. They have obeyed your word. <clears throat> the implication is that Christ gave him, gave his word. And then eight, I, have, I gave them the words you gave me. And they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. The words. So here we have in this verse, in the context, same thing. Uh, I have given them your word. But even though we spoke about it earlier, as Jesus was saying how obedient, by finishing the work, his, his obedience was to the Father. Now we're going to see that having this word has other implications as well. It's not just the fact that we got it. Jesus delivered it to us because the Father wanted him to as part of his task or the work that he had to finish in this world. He is now going to tell us some other results of us having the word. And this is important for us to really note because it is true of us today. Point B, the word that he gave was not the Mosaic law. It was not about people or things in this world. It was about the Father's eternal purpose, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. That's Ephesians 3, 9. So, <clears throat> first of all, if he's given us something unique, something special, I mean, this is in preparation of a new dispensation where there would be hidden things hidden from before time began, hidden from before the creation of the world, I would think that's important for us to know that that's, wow, I mean, God has given us information that existed before 
the universe was created. As I said in the opening, what a find that we found this information. This is a huge find. And I don't think the world appreciates it, unfortunately. I mean, I don't know why the world does not fawn all over this and just uh, make this out to be the greatest thing ever. Like, you know, we have, you know, I, I was going to say in my notes something about the seventh wonder of the world. There are seven wonders of the world. I, I don't know that people talk about that anymore these days. And I can't tell you what all of them are. I'm not going to Google it if you want more information. But uh, there are seven wonders of the world. And I was going to say, this is the eighth wonder. But then I thought, it's not of the world. So I can't say it's the eighth wonder of the world. This is out of this world. But it's, a, it's something that people ought to, to sit, sit up and take notice of. But to note that this information is available. It's even able for us to be known. Now, of course, people don't believe it. So that puts it in another category. That's why they don't pay much attention to it. Because they disregard it. But listen. Which ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. That's the universe. That's Ephesians 3.9. So it's not the Mosaic Law, which many focus on today. They love the Mosaic Law as though it were, you know, training for them to become an Israelite or something. You're never going to become an Israelite. That's not our calling here. We have a different calling. But yeah, people are stuck. And it's not about just current events. Like Nostradamus makes all these predictions. Oh, there's going to be earthquakes and there's going to be famines and there's going to be this. And then all they have to do is point in the world where some things like that are happening. People are amazed. Like, wow, that's the word we need from Nostradamus. I tell you, Nostradamus is getting more play than the mystery. I, I, I don't know how that is. Well, yeah, I do. We're living in a world that hates us. And we will get to that, I'm sure. Let's move on to point C. We are told, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's Colossians 3.2. And when, you know, when think about that, how, how easy is it for us to set our minds on things above? What are things above? Like clouds, uh, stars, planets, solar systems, galaxies, looking at the universe. Is that what he's referring to when he says, set your mind on things above? Well, I just wanted to break down a couple thoughts. What does it mean about things above? And what does it mean not on earthly things? So the first thought is things above, and I say where, obviously. And the verse later says, with Christ in God. So where's Christ? We know he's in heaven right now. And uh, so obviously, he's not talking about the starry heaven. He's talking about the third heaven. So our minds, things above, should be focused on what's going on in the third heaven. So if I ask you, what is going on in the third heaven, do you know? You might say, well, I have no idea. I'm not there. How would I possibly know what's going on in the, in, in the third heaven? 
so that I can think about it. Like everyday things. Well, the stock market, okay, it's up today, it's down today. Uh, what's going on in the third heaven today? No, that's not the way we think about it. What's in the third heaven, what's going on is the Father and the Son and the Spirit are working together to execute a plan that was established before the universe was created. They're working together, coordinating together to make this plan come to fruition. It's going to come to pass, whether we focus on it or not. But if you want to grow in grace, if you want to uh, work together with him as a partner in fulfilling the Father's eternal purpose, then you will be on board with setting your mind on things above and not on earthly things. So we, that's Colossians 3, 3, 3. But then I'm going to go to Colossians chapter 3. So 3, 3 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So that's where, uh, with Christ in God. That's where you should be thinking about. Because that's where your life is. We're not going to get into that part right now. But then we're going to skip down to verse 10, where it says, And put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator so again it's about knowledge and it's about the knowledge or the image of Christ which is the role that we have then he says here is there is no Jew no gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave or free but Christ is all and is in all. And so our mind on things above are really all about the Father's plan, which is us in Christ. Remember, uh, that's important. Ephesians 2.6 tells us where we are positionally. Right? Ephesians 2.6 says, And God raised us up with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now we know how this happened. This happened through what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Very, very uh, instrumental in how we got to be in Christ. It's through the baptism of the Spirit. That's the, the means, that's the work of God on our behalf that, that took us from being just regular people on the earth, going about our business. And when we believed in Christ, when we came to salvation, we put our faith in Christ. This happened in this age. We call it the baptism of the Spirit. This is what God has done. He has seated us in the heavenly realms. And the baptism of the Spirit unites us to the person of Christ. We are baptized into his body, which we will read about a little later. So that's what it means to keep your mind on things above. That's the third heaven. And this is where God the Father... If you, if you were somehow able to get to the third heaven right now, and you, so you, you get there, and so you see Jesus, and you say, so what's up? You know what he's going to say? The Father's plan. That's what's up. That's what's going on right now. And are you with it? Or are you not with it? So set your mind on things above. Because we got to learn about the Father's plan. we got to learn about the things that they're doing that's important to them. 
This is important to God. Point number two is not on earthly things. Well, what are things? That's things on earth where the sin nature rules. And we get that right from the context of Ephesians 3, 5. Or I'm sorry, Colossians 3, 5. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. All these things are a part of the sin nature that we died, right? Uh, that's what verse 3, we died, we died to that. God's, when he united us with the person of Christ, he separated us from our sin nature. He took us out of Adam, and he united us with the person of Christ. And that caused a separation or a death to, to occur in us. Now, we didn't die physically, so I wouldn't be talking to you if you did. So we died, meaning God separated us. Death is a separation. It is a transition from one thing to another. Well, and with regard to this, it is leaving Adam and Adam's fallen nature and being united to the, to the last Adam or to Christ, who's the person who uh, we are now associated with in heavenly places. So, uh, so we, when it says not on earthly things, he's saying all those things that the world is driven by the lust of the flesh, pride of life, right? All those things are what people are motivated in this world to do. He's saying that's just, you died. You're separated from all of that. And now you're united to the person of Christ. So you should be learning about who Christ is in this world. You're in this world. Your focus is on heavenly things. Now the way it there's an exchange in our mutual possession is that we we have we can enjoy what Christ is experiencing now in heavenly in the heavenly realms whereas he now gets to switch places with us and like Paul says the life I live in the flesh in the body I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me that's Galatians 2:20 so he says, I'm, I'm dead, yeah, but that means I'm physically alive. I'm still here. You, I'm talking to you. The life I'm living here is I'm allowing Christ's life to manifest in me. It is his life, his thinking that's motivating me in this world. Not whatever the sin nature dictates to me. Uh, all the things that we just mentioned. <clears throat> so... Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. So that's where he says you, your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You used to live in those ways, being motivated. You get up in the morning, what do you think about? The same thing everybody else is thinking about. No different. You know, it's, it's, what's, is the difference between us and the people in the world? A lot of people say, well, I dress differently. I look differently. I comb my hair differently. Wrong. All those things are not what make us different. It's what we think is what distinguishes us. And what do we think? Well, we are to set our mind on things above. We have information that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. What a wonder. 
But yet, many people choose to think about earthly things. So it's kind of interesting that God is telling us this at this point because um, he's telling us the effect that the word will have on us. Right? This, is, this is who we are in Christ. Now, so point D, let's move forward. We got past the uh, things on earth, things and above. So point D, Jesus gave an introduction on the new dispensation with its spiritual dynamics and with introduction to the spirit of truth and who is the Holy Spirit, the advocate. So when he says he's given them, I have given them your word, he's letting us know what, what did he give us. He introduced this new dispensation with a lot of detail. You would think, oh, he's got much more to tell you. There's much more. He told us a lot, but not, he just is really just the tip of the iceberg because just telling us there's going to be a new dispensation, that's huge. There hasn't been a new dispensation to that point for 1,400 years. Uh, so when you think about uh, what's new, it's this new dispensation that's dawning. The Holy Spirit is coming. And these are some of the names that he gave this Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth. The Advocate. The Comforter. And those are all the verses in John 14 where he describes the Holy Spirit. So he doesn't just say, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is coming. He gives them descriptive names that help us understand his role. Uh, if you said he was, the, if he said he was the spirit of emotion, then you would say, "Oh, spirit of emotion." That means I'm probably going to be emotional if the Holy Spirit is influencing me. But no, it's the spirit of truth, the advocate. An advocate is a legal term, and comforter is one like another, right? One who is just like me, another like me. Well, what role did Jesus play? in uh, the disciples' lives. He played a role of leader, and they followed him. He had authority over them. He taught them the way. Right? So that's the role. He didn't encourage them emotionally, per se. He established that he was the Messiah. There were other things he did, yes. But he taught them mainly, just like in this discourse, where he says, I have given them your word. They have obeyed. They kept it. They now know. Point E. So it was clearly an introduction to the much more information. When we say the much more information, you know that comes from John 16, 12. He says, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. <clears throat> so he was clearly giving us an introduction especially if he says he got much more to say, and you'll get it later. Information that will be given to us through the Spirit of Truth. So what is our expectation? The Spirit of Truth will come and we'll just all just lay on the floor and kick our legs all over and just say whatever comes to mind? Oh, the Spirit of Truth is going to keep teaching us. About, he's got much more to tell us. I don't know why... We have to emphasize these things because people get in their minds something about the Holy Spirit 
maybe it's because the King James used Holy Ghost. I don't know. But it just seems people have lost their minds when it comes to this. And have lost the spiritual logic of what Jesus was trying to tell us and what we received on Pentecost. So I just have to, I, I think, sounds like I'm being negative to what's going on in the world. So sometimes we not only have to say what is truth, but we have to also say what is not truth. And that's important for us to make that point as well. So that, that's point E in our note. So Jesus says, I have given them your word. And, and, and that is what he has done. Point number two. And the world has hated them. So the context says why the world has hated them. And I, I don't want to skip ahead in our notes, but I have to. Since the last half of this verse is ex explaining why the world, you know, the first part, I have given them the word, your word, and the world has hated them. So this last part says, why did, you could say, why did they hate them? Why? I mean, the word of God, that's pretty good. But says, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So that's the last part of the verse we'll deal with. But just to note, that's the reason given to why the world hates them. I can't give a better reason if Jesus said, this is the reason. I have to stick with what Jesus said, and that is the reason. There's more we can talk about, but at least we want to state that up front, that the verse does complete itself. Point B, the hatred we have as those, quote, in Christ, is the same as the hatred for Christ. So uh, hopefully you understand that, and we'll have to go back to John 15, 18 through 21, just to make sure as we covered some of this, John 15, 18 through 21. So just notice what I'm saying. The hatred that, and this is really hard, right? If somebody, if I say you're going to go to school and somebody's going to hate you, you're going to be looking around in school like, oh, who is it? Who is going to be antagonistic toward me? Who's going to be resistant toward me? You say it's a good day. They said not a good day. You say, what's happening? They say, not you. I mean, they hate you. Everything you say, they'll turn around and twist because they're not for you. They're against you. And that's the world, he's saying. That's hard. I mean, you think the world is against us? I mean, we live here. It's not some place where we can escape right now. I can say, oh, I'm leaving this world. Uh, yeah, you can, but that is not God's will for you right now. God's will for you, if you're still alive, is for you to continue working, to doing, doing the things that he has for you. Just like Jesus says, I have finished the work you gave me to do. Paul says, I have fought a good fight, finished the race, finished my course. And, and so as long as we're still here, well, then God has work for us to do. So the world hates us. We can't escape that. We have to live with it fact that the world doesn't particularly care for us. It's just know that you're in an environment where there's hatred. Now, so Jesus says in 18, if the world hates you, 
keep in mind that it hated me first. So there's, it's not about you, but that's the thought. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. This is the same thing we've been dealing with. Jesus says, you are not of the world any more than I am of the world. That's the reason why the world hates you. The world doesn't just hate you because you dress differently and all that. It's because you belong to Jesus and you espouse the same plan, the same mind that Jesus has. So what's the world's reaction to you? Hatred, antagonism, resistance. They're going to fight you and they will destroy you if they can. So watch this. It says, as it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember, I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and they did, they will persecute you also. Jesus says, well, then pick up your cross and follow me. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way, because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. We may have gotten over, but, and some of those, oh no, that's it. 18 through 21 is what we said. Those, those are tough words for us to have to be in the world without Jesus. But do you know, the Holy Spirit is here. So we have the mind of Christ. And that is our comfort. That is our joy. That is our peace. So it's important. And let me just restate point B. The hatred we have as those in Christ is the same as the hatred for Christ. This is what Jesus is saying. It's not about you. It's about me. Point C. So what was said in chapter 15, 19 is a, it's essentially... What Jesus prays to the Father in our verse. It's the same thing. <clears throat> Summing it up, the hatred, it is because of who and what we are. Right? That's really what it is. And it's interesting how a lot of Christians may not know who they are in Christ. But the world responds to who we are in Christ, even if we don't. Even if we don't know who we are in Christ, the world does. Isn't that interesting that the world responds to us as though we were Christ himself? And the hatred that the world had for Christ, they continue that same hatred for us. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us why. Uh, this is a very common verse, but let's read it in this context. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... In Christ is a designation that never happened before. Well, obviously Christ wasn't here. That's one reason why it didn't happen. Because he wasn't on the scene. And now that he is on the scene, we have that unique instrument of God called the baptism of the Spirit. God, he took us and he baptized us into Christ. And that's important for us to understand what that means. That's huge. It allows us to say to be in Christ. This is a new designation. 
So it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So we're talking about a new creation, something that never was never seen. I know we got angels. I know we got man. Let us make man in our in my, our own image and our own likeness. And that so man was divided in two parts, Jews and Gentiles. Just as I, I know angels were created, they were angels. And now we have elect and fallen angels. But now humanity, of humanity, we have Jews and Gentiles. So now there's a new creation. And this new creation is around everybody who is in Christ. It says the new creation has come. And that word new means never before seen new. I think you can even get that from the context. That we're a new creation. It just says it. I mean, I, I don't have to go to the Greek to, to, to demonstrate that it's something new, never before seen. And now, what is, wh who are we? We are said to be the body of Christ, the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We're a part of who Christ is now. We're a part of him. We fill him. Remember, we went to that whole play Roma thing where we, Christ is not complete without us. We are not complete without him. The old has gone. What's the old? Whatever designations we were prior to our being in Christ. We could say no male, no female, no Jew, no Gentile, no bond, no free, no slave. None of those things we are in whatever we were, whatever titles we had in this world. We're not those things anymore because God has removed us from that and has united us to Christ. And by doing that, he made something completely new. Imagine when you think about what a Christian is. A lot, a lot of people think, oh, well, we're Israel or, you know, Israel was here. They had the will of God. They had to go do what God said, the law, so forth and so on. When God created us in Christ, that was something completely new, a new designation, period. Now we can't just say there's angels, there's man, including Jews and Gentiles, but now there's the church. And with all the other things I already said, his body, the fullness of him and all that, there's the church. And that's a new creation, never before seen. Who we are on the with our feet on the ground here. And he's telling us we don't belong to this world. That's amazing to think about. We don't belong down here. This is not our destiny to live on this earth. It's, this is not who we are created to be. I love it when God says in 2 Corinthians uh, you know, 4, we long to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. But that's where we belong. God has created us not to be long here, but to belong there in heavenly realms. And then there's a heavenly dwelling that just fits us. It's just it's perfect for what God has created us. Oh, I, there's a verse, and we're going to get to it. I think I did, I did include it in my notes. 
I'm probably getting ahead of myself a little bit here. But the idea is that how did we get to this place? He chose us for this. And it's the only thing we can think about is that he chose us. And, and when we step into the role that we have, it's new. It's a new designation. You could even say, you're not human anymore. I know we would say, oh, yes, we are. We're human. But you have to wonder, what is it that's different about us that's different from the people in this world? It's not just the location where we are. There's something different about us than the people in this world. For us to be a new creation, never before seen creation, we're not like the people in this world anymore. And there are a lot of reasons why. A lot of it has to do with what the Father's plan dictates for us. Okay, so point D, we're moving forward. Okay, point D says, the, the world is an inanimate object. <clears throat> so when it says the world hates us, you have to wonder. Because the world cannot hate. But its ruler can. And that's when we think of cosmos is the translation for this world. And what is the world? The definition for from strong is an orderly arrangement. That is decoration. By implication, the world. So obviously it's a metaphor. You know, it's personification. Hey, the world hates you. The world loves you. The world hates you. Well, the world does not love or hate anybody. It has to do with the ruler of the world and his attitude towards us. He's the one directing traffic in this world. That's why it says it's an orderly arrangement. And when we speak of cosmos, it's an orderly arrangement. Who ordered it? Who arranged it? Satan, who is the god of this world. He's taken what God has given us in creation and he's done something different with it. He's arranged it in a different fashion. So that's why we have, it says, the cosmos. And it says, don't love the cosmos. Because if you love the cosmos, then you're loving Satan's orderly arrangement of things. And it makes sense that Satan's orderly arrangement of things here and the way things operate down here would hate you because you belong to Christ. You don't belong to this world. Christ is going to change the way this world operates. Christ will eventually grab Satan by the back of the neck and throw him into the abyss. He won't do it. He'll get an angel to do it. And Satan will be off of... He will not be ruling over this world anymore. That's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. Satan will be thrown into the abyss. You can read that in Revelation 20. And make sure you understand who it is. That old great dragon called the Sat called Satan the devil. He gives him all the names. So, oh, yeah it's, yeah, it's the one you're thinking of. It's the devil, all right. He's going to take him and he will not be the ruler the small G-O-D of this world anymore. The orderly arrangement of this world will be changed and Christ will now rule. We'll get to see what it is 
when Christ rules the world. He's the next ruler, so Satan hates him. That's inherent. So we should know what cosmos and its ruler does to this world. And that's why God just tells us in 1 John 2.15, don't love the world. Don't commit to the world. Don't be devoted to the world. Because that's, that's not where we belong. And their agenda is not the Father's plan. You ought to set your mind on things above. Their agenda is to fulfill your lusts, your dreams, your ambitions, but they're all earthly. And yeah, we have to live in this world, I know. You gotta get up and go to work, gotta make money, gotta survive, but God has provided all that for you. So all you gotta do is continue to set your mind on things above and let him worry about the things in this world. Let's keep going to point number three. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So that was like we discovered in point A was the reason why the world hates us. Now let's let's dig into this a little bit. Why are we not of the world? If I would ask that question, why are we not of the world? Jesus comments, I have chosen you out of the world. That is why you are not the world hates you. Because I have chosen you out of the world. That's a pretty clear answer from Jesus. It's pretty clear that I don't belong here. He didn't choose us in the world. He chose us to be out of the world. So when I said in the opening, I said this information that we've been given is out of this world. And that's what I'm thinking. It's out of this world. How did we get to be chosen out of this world. We're not a part of what's going on down here. And the world knows that. The world can distinguish between us and what's happening down here. Now there is, <clears throat> if you behave in the way the world wants you to behave, the scripture tells us the world will love you as its own. But even though that happens, in other words, you you're behaving just like the world. Yeah, the world won't respond to you with the hatred. But as soon as you start thinking about the mind of Christ and setting your heart on things above, oh yeah, the world will hate you because it will recognize who you are. And it will scorch you for it. Just like it did Christ and the disciples and all those martyrs who followed Christ, the world responded to them in the same way. Well, remember, it's the orderly arrangement of things. So it was Satan responding to them. I like that one scripture where it says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? <laughs> so and then, uh, you know, it was pretty bad for them after that. That's an act somewhere. But in any case, <clears throat> let's keep going here. That's right. He's chosen us out of the world. That's how we that's how we're not in the world. It's not a matter of our thinking like, OK, if I just will act like I'm not in this world, then I won't be it. No, there's God did work. There was work on God's behalf to 
to, to, so that you are not a part of this world, that you are now in Christ. It's not just wishful thinking or positive thinking. Well, I'm going to think positively I'm not in the world. No, God did it. Now, the injunction is that we think according to what he has done. Point B, we are not of the world. Well, these are uh, just little things to think about. We are not of the world. I should say, well, where do we belong then? And people say that in the, in the world, uh, you know, Christians. It, they are taught to say we're not of the world. It's a common understanding. And they'll say, yeah, we're, we're, we're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Everybody knows that distinction. Well, let's think about what does it mean. If we're not of the world, where do we belong? Uh, and I'm going to use the scripture to describe it. For we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed. The only way we can be in this world is if the earthly tent we live in is not destroyed. If it has too many holes in it, it's going to be destroyed. If it gets cancer or some other ish things happen to the, the body we live in, it can be destroyed. If we're persecuted or you know people kill us because of who we are in Christ, then, yeah, the body can be destroyed. The tent we live in can be destroyed. But if, that's, if, if, if that happens, for us, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. That is the reality for us. That's 2 Corinthians 5.1. That's the reality. If we die, if the body we live in is destroyed, we have some place where we belong. We already said we're not of this world. So where are we from then? Where do we belong? Not here. So stop trying to make things comfortable down here where like you're going to be here forever. We're not. This is temporary. You know, it's like the Mosaic Law. Mosaic Law was meant to be temporary. It wasn't meant to be permanent. The Jews, in their insistence and religious ritual, tried to make the Mosaic Law permanent. It was such a way of life for them that they refused to give it up. Even when Jesus, who, was, who came, and knowing that the law was supposed to be transitory, temporary, they could not make the shift gears. That's why it says that every time... Uh, Moses is the law is read, they go, it's like the haze comes over their eyes. The ritual, the the many, many years of tradition that they felt was God honoring. But it wasn't. And and that that is the same way people feel. Like they're living in this tent, they feel like, well, that's it. I'm used to this. This is what I know. I'm accustomed to this, all my traditions and everything, but you know. If the earthly tent is destroyed, we should know that we're going we're gonna to leave here and we have an eternal house. We belong somewhere else. It's not made by human hands. What is that to say? It's not going to be in a house, a conventional place that we're used to. It's in heaven. 
It's in the third heaven. That's where we belong. I don't know what the digs are up there other than what Jesus says. There are many places. King James translates it mansions, but that's not the trans that's not what it means. There's many places and but God but Christ said, I'm going there to prepare a place, a special place for us. Because we belong there. We have a home now. It wasn't there before. But God from his plan is carving out a space for us in the third heaven. That's where we belong. If we don't belong, if we're not of this world, then we should be asking, well, where do we belong? We belong in heaven. That's where we are. So point C, what makes us different from others in this world? Well, Ephesians 1, 4. He chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. Notice it says before the creation of the world. We were chosen to be in Christ. And there's a whole lot of things that had to happen before Christ came and walked this earth. A whole lot of things. But the plan of God existed even before the execution of the plan of God. It existed because God was making choices before he began creation. And then there's that 1 Corinthians 12, 13 passage that we read where it says uh, that we are baptized. Every one of us now, everyone in this age is baptized into the body of Christ. So baptism isn't just sprinkling you with water or dipping you in some pool or some or ocean. Baptism here for us means to be identified with the person of Christ. That changes our designation. That changes us from the creation where Adam came and every person born in this world is born in Adam. We're not born in Adam anymore. Even though we were, we are now identified with the person of Christ. How does God see us? He doesn't even see Adam in us anymore. He only sees his son. We have, there's something new. We're, we're a new creation, just like it said. What makes us different? Well, I just gave you two things that are very unique that, that took us out of this world. He says, I've chosen you out of this world. There's something special for you, not what's normal. So point D, our not being part of this world is qualified by this quote Jesus says. Now, I am not, it's just like to say, I want you to grow up to be six feet, three inches. That's how much I want you to, I'm telling you exactly, I mean, I'm not saying just grow up. I'm saying I want you to grow up so that you will be to the fullness and stature of Christ. I'm qualified. I'm not just saying grow up. I'm saying, here's how I want you to grow up to this. And that's what this is saying. It says, we're not a part of this world any more than Jesus says, I am a part of this world. Jesus is going to die and his life is significant way more than what happened in this world. He has a life that extends to the creator of this world. He's the creator. 
he's he's he says I am not part of this. They are not a part of this world any more than I am. That's the qualification. Then we have to look at well who Christ is. I mean, he did come as a human being. He was born into this world, but now he's talking like he never was. Why is he saying this? Because he's saying that the who he is is more than his earthly sojourn. And just imagine, Christ's abode, his abode was the third heaven. Before all of this earthly stuff began, the earthly stuff only began for Christ because he wanted to fulfill the Father's purpose. He came to save those who were lost in Adam, and he came to call many sons into glory. But the real purpose is to call many sons into glory. That's the Father's eternal purpose. That was hidden, wasn't, wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but it is now. Okay, so let's, let's just make sure we understand that there is a qualification of our not being in the world any more than I am in the world. Christ is not a part of this world. Even when he came here, he was antagonistic toward it. So he's not a part of, we're not a part of this world any more than he is. Wow, that's a qualification. I mean, we can say we're not a part of this world as long as we don't act in the way the world does. We're not part of this world. We don't act a part of this. No. Jesus says any more than I am of the world. Christ is not of the world. He hates the world just like the world hates him. Point E. Remember that our Lord is no longer here. He's in heaven and he's glorified. So for him to talk futuristically, which he has been praying to the Father, uh, anticipating that the Father's plan is certainly going to be done and how everything, everything would come to fruition. That's why he says, I have finished the work you gave me to do. I didn't get to the cross yet, but he's speaking to the Father. He's like, the work is done. I'm going to do it. I'm surely going to do the work. There's no doubt about it. And that's how he speaks to the Father. So, our Lord is no longer here. So, he's in heaven, and he's glorified. So, there's a difference in how we behave. Romans 6, 4, and 5, let's, let's read it. So, it says, <clears throat> We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So the life that we live here on earth is not just, okay, well, you know, I know you didn't get your resurrection body yet. So I recognize that you still are living in an earthly body. No, there are things that happen to us that distinguish us from the people in this world. And it goes back to that same thing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It took us out of Adam, and now it has united us to the person of Christ, who is a heavenly being. And now the life that we live in 6, 4, and 5 is not just any old human life. It's the new life. Remember, we are a new creation, so because of that new creation, we got a new life. What's our life? Our life is hid with Christ 
in God. And he will be raised up into the third heaven. We're already there positionally in Christ. Now he's calling out those many sons into glory. Glory. That we may live a new life. So listen, we've been redeemed, not just redeemed, in other words, salvation, but we been taken out of Adam and united to the person of Christ. The work has already been done. So that the moment we close our eyes in death, we're going to be present with the Lord. That's where we belong. For if you, we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. So, so while we're here on earth, this is interesting, we're here on earth, we got the baptism of the Spirit. God is telling us that we should now live the resurrection life and the life that Christ is living while he's in heaven. Well, it goes along with what we just said. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So God is expecting that we shift gears now that this has happened. Not that we just go on, okay, this is nice stuff to know, the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit, the sealing, all that good stuff. It's nice to know. It's, a, it's like a doctrine, which is like a book. We just put it on the shelf. It's over there. Every time I want to look at it, I can just go get that book. But no, this is God is saying, shift gears. This is who you are now. Start living your life according to these things, because this is the truth about you. Reckon yourselves to be dead and alive to God. Romans has a lot to say about this new life that we're supposed to be living. Let's keep going, though. Uh, so we are at point F, I believe. They are, they are not of the world. They are not of the world. Uh, that's the quote that we're saying, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. We are not of the world, John 17, 20. When I say we, you know it's not just talking about the disciples, talking about us too. Uh, we don't belong, to, excuse me, to the world. Now let's look at that verse. This is the verse I was telling you about in 2 Corinthians 5, 4 and 5. Let's read it. 2 Corinthians 5, 4 and 5 says, For while we are in this tent, that's the body, we groan. <laughs> uh, you know, Paul's groaning is he's waiting for the adoption of sons, right? We groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal, that's us, living in bodies in this tent, may be swallowed up by life. What, what do we mean by life? By not our life, but the life of Christ, the life of the person of Christ. And that's where we're going to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Now, to be sure, verse 5, now the one who has fashioned us for this, in other words, for this very purpose is God. He fashioned, he made us for this purpose. This is the Father's eternal purpose on our behalf. The one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. 
who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That's us. That's all us here being spoken of. Talking about where we belong, that, that uh, what is mortal, if we die, it's going to be swallowed up. In other words, the whole purpose of us is going to be swallowed up by life. And what life is that? That's the life of Christ, where your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's where you are now. Even though you don't realize it and you're trying to live a life that was like in Adam down here with the principles and standards and lusts and all the other stuff that goes along with the cravings that are down here. But really, your life is hid with Christ and God. God chose this for you. He chose you out of this world. This is not a part of who you are anymore. We got to get that through to our conscious reality. That's who we are. And God does this for us. The one who fashioned us this way, who made us, who conformed us to this, is God. This is according to his plan. And not only that, he has given us the spirit as a deposit, making sure we know for sure that that belongs to us. That's who we are in Christ. So uh, that, I think that's important to say. The world is not our home. Hang on, let me just go and put the phone on that, mute that. here. Stand by. Uh, I'm just going to put the phone on mute. All right, cool. So, so just to note, Philippians 3.20. Let's look at that passage. Philippians 3 and 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. There, it doesn't get any more clear than that. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our hope, that he's going to come. Just like he gave us that hope in uh, where he talked to the disciples, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. If these things were not so, would I have told you this? I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That Where I am, there you will be also. Our citizenship is there. That's where we belong. We're not going there temporarily. That's where we belong. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. And who is it? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly body so that they will be like his glorious body. So the resurrection body we're going to have is like his glorious body. But that's not it, really. Once we get to the place where we belong, our mortality will be swallowed up in life. We'll be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So the, we're going to close. I know we're getting past our time here, but we could just close with these last three verses. We will cover them again next week, but I'm going to read them this week. Um, 
or I say, when were we chosen, point G, when were we chosen out of this world? It was before the creation of the world. That's when it all happened, when God made the decision that we would be the new creation, a part of the new creation, not the creation that he was going to have with Adam and the fall and, uh, you know, Jews and Gentiles. He was going to create something new. He hid it. And when did he do all this? Before the creation of the world, says Ephesians 1, 4. We'll close with these three verses that speak about us as well. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there you have it, right? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world because we're not a part of it anymore. We don't belong to it anymore. Well, how do we do, what do we do to transform our reality from what we had in this world to this new reality? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's where the Holy Spirit takes the word, the truth of the word. And he, it's almost like he washes it. He scrubs our mind from the things that were to the reality that is. So that we can approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will for us. 1 Corinthians 2.16 Who has known the mind of the Lord? so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. That's the material that the Holy Spirit is using to transform us, the mind of Christ. And then, uh, which is the Father's plan, by the way, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplates the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image, now, contemplating the Lord's glory is setting your mind on things above, thinking about the Father's eternal purpose, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there you have it. That's how we make what the Lord has given us a reality. Even while we have our feet firmly planted in this world, we know what God has done. We know the work that was done on our behalf. We know the instruments that were used on us so that we are a part of who Christ is now. That we have a new destiny. We have a new home. We are a new creation. And we have new thoughts as we live even as we live in this world. Let's bow our heads. We'll think more about this next week. Thank you, Father, for this time you've given us. We are grateful for what your word has done for us. We know there's going to be trouble in this world. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be heartache and pain. But we know that the reality that you have given us gives us peace, joy, as we go through these things in this world. We thank you for we couldn't have done what you've done by choosing us. We embrace what you've given us. We embrace the life that you have for us, that you fashioned for us. We thank you, Father. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.